If you've uh, if you've got your Bibles, let's turn to Second Peter, Second Peter chapter one, uh, verse one. Last week we saw uh, how God has uh, throughout Scripture referred to his people as his servants. And so that's what we're looking at in, in this first verse when he says, Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. But we saw that that word servant uh, for us might paint a different picture than what it was intended originally in uh, the text, that God isn't making us what we think of as servants. God is making us his slaves, uh, so we saw last week how slavery fits more with the picture of what God is calling his people to, where God enslaves us, uh, heart, mind, and life to him. So last week, just as a refresher to catch up, last week we saw that Christians saw themselves as slaves from the beginning, that that was a common theme in the Old Testament, a common theme in the New Testament, that this is not a change that Peter is making by saying that we are his uh, slaves, that we are God's slaves, that uh, the Bible teaches us that everyone, as Zachary said this morning, everyone is a slave to something. We're all worshiping something, giving our lives and service and devotion to something. Uh, but God sets us free to become slaves to him. Uh, and that this slavery we saw continues even into eternity, where in the new heavens and the new earth, it says that his uh, servants are there worshiping him with his name etched across their foreheads. Uh, just a, a glorious picture of God's total possession of us. Now, as we, as we look at that, some people have a, a problem just with this, with this whole idea, the idea of being a slave. You hear God is making you his slave and for some people it's like, ugh, like I don't, I don't, I mean, I thought, I thought being a slave was bad. I mean, who wants to be a slave, right? No one's like, hey, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? Well, Tommy wants to be a firefighter. Uh, Marcus wants to be a slave. Uh, Timmy wants to go into politics. So no one wants to be a slave. So when you when the Bible starts talking about that God makes us his slaves, some people are just put off by the idea. Like, I'm not going to be a slave to anybody. I'm free, right? I'm, I'm in control of my life. This is the, I'm, I'm the one who determines what I do. And if I choose to serve the Lord, then I'll serve the Lord. Uh, but I am, I am, I am, I am free. Uh, we, and sometimes what happens is we're, some of this is, is based on our understanding of history or even our, our understanding of, uh, of America or freedom. Like I love, I love being an American as much as anybody, but sometimes our, 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 we get so caught up in freedom being like the greatest thing that God has ever given to the world uh, or, or, or free will is like this ultimate gift. Or ultimate truth that God has has given people is the free will to to choose. I remember I remember one time I was watching a video uh, on what the Bible teaches, and it was it was made for kids. And the guy said, "Look, I I realized I was watching kids' videos, even some of the kids' videos that I had made, and and I realized that that many of these kids' lessons." They teach kids things that aren't from the Bible. They're just morality lessons or whatever. And I, I realize they're coming in and, 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 and this isn't biblical. And he said, so what I'm going to do 
is I want to teach you just what the Bible teaches. So I think it, I won't even, I, well, I'll give you the name of it. I think it's called Through the Bible or something like that. Uh, and, and so he's like, we're just going to teach you what the Bible teaches you and go from there. And so he started, he said, lesson one, in the beginning, God made people and he loved them so much that he gave them free will. And I just went, uh, like immediately. So immediately I said, it took you literally three seconds to teach something that you don't find in the Bible, right? In the sense of, it doesn't say, like you cannot find a verse that says, in the beginning, God loved people so much he gave them free will. You just don't see that. So he, he lasted three seconds to already start shaping. He's like, we're going to go through the Bible and we're going to begin by giving you a verse you can't find in the Bible. Uh, and, and so already I was like, all right, you, you made it three seconds. We're going to turn this off. I bought all these DVDs. Uh, I should have got into the lessons first. I heard your pitch. You're a good pitch man. Uh, but the point was not, not whether or not what he was teaching was, was true or accurate. That was not, uh, but that he already started throwing in something that he assumed about the very reason that God made people. And how God shows his love to people by giving us what he would call free will. Again, pulling that not from any sort of scriptural place, uh, not saying, you know, as it says in, in whatever or whatever. So one of the reasons people don't like being slaves is because we've got this almost like deified idea of free will, which comes from the Greeks and it's platonic and it's got all these reasons that we we put it in foundational in our head. Like that's what that's what people have to have. It's a it's a philosophical issue, certainly not a scriptural one Uh, or it is a scriptural issue, uh, but just not how they're thinking of it. So. You get ideas like that. Also, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard this. Some people don't like the idea of God making us his slaves. I heard when I was talking to someone about this and us being how God says we are enslaved to him, that he sets us free to be his slaves. They said, no, my friend, God is a gentleman. Uh, have you ever heard that? Someone say, God is a gentleman. He would never, he would never force anyone to do anything. So for them, the whole idea of God making us slaves to him seems out of God's character because God is a gentleman. Now, again, what is the problem with that? Is that God calls himself a lot of things in scripture, but if you pull out your concordance and type in God and gentleman, uh, you are not going to find God speaking of himself as I, the Lord, vast and holy, uh, am also a gentle sir. Uh, you don't, you don't see him calling himself a gentleman who refuses. We just read a scripture verse. And what does the Bible say? Our God is in the heavens. He does what? All that he pleases. So we've got those scripture verses. And we've got scripture verses that say we're his slaves. So the re- so what I want us to understand is some people, and this is why we have to guard our hearts. Our hearts have such a tendency sometimes to want to, to butt against, to kick against the goats. That the idea of God binding us to him, we love to sing it. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. So here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy throne above. Or here's my heart, Lord, like what? Take it, bind it like a better to you we love to sing that but when we start thinking about it and god binding our heart sometimes we get a little put wait wait wait. well what does that do with 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 me i want to be i want to be free and 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 scripture says 
no, you really don't. Uh, like you don't, you don't, you want the Lord to enslave you to himself. And we're going to see the, the Bible is clear both in saying that we are God's slaves and also teaching us that being God's slaves is a very, very good thing. So that when the Bible says, when God says, it comes and says, look, I'm going to make you my slaves. You do not want to say, well, I'd really kind of rather freely choose you. Uh, then have you bind me to you? Because uh, is it really love if I don't if I don't choose you? And I don't know if it's love at first, but it's certainly salvation, uh, and that's that's what's going to bring the love. Uh, but anyway, so we've got this idea. We want to pull that back and look at. This is why it's important because we will sometimes read scripture with these thoughts and assume things like being God's slaves. Well, that can't really be being His slaves. Why? Because we, because we have this understanding about our lives or how our choices work or how our wills work based on assumptions rather than based on Scripture. And so we want to make sure that when we're reading the text, we see the Bible's clear God says we're His slaves. The Bible is also clear that God says that's a very, very good thing for us. And so that's what we're going to see today. Uh, We're going to see when Peter says in chapter one, verse one, Simeon, Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. We're going to see that Peter is not lamenting his slavery. Peter is rejoicing in it. And we're going to walk through scripture and see why Peter would glory in his slavery. We're going to see why being uh, a slave to God is a very, very good thing. Uh, good thing. So let's start out. Let's read uh, verse uh, one uh, and then and then we'll pray. Let's stand in the honor of reading God's word. I, I actually don't think I put, put it on the screen this time, but, but uh, you can follow along in your scripture or just listen as the early church did. Simeon Peter, a servant, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, I pray today that as we come to worship you, we would realize that even us being here is a matter of you taking our hearts and binding them to you instead of to sin, of you setting us free from sin and then making us slaves to righteousness. And so, God, the warming of our hearts to want to be here, to want to sing to you, to want to cry out to you, to want better lives, to want to live for your glory instead of our own, that that is not something that we just concocted in our head, Father, or that we sowed in our own hearts. This comes ultimately from you quickening our dead hearts. And then once they were alive, you binding us hand and foot and heart and soul to you. Thank you, Father. May we serve you. And if you've saved us, that's exactly what we'll do. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so uh, let's start looking through this idea of of God making us his uh, slaves and why that's a good thing. Uh, the first thing we'll do is look at now when scripture talks about slavery and we've got to do this and I'll, and I'll show you why in a second. When scripture talks about uh, slavery, it, it doesn't always condemn slavery, but 
slavery is not painted in a good picture in Scripture. And that's an important point because we're going to read two different types of passages in Scripture. Uh, that sometimes we'll read passages where slavery is spoken of as a bad thing, where God says he comes and he sets people free, where God says, rejoice, you are no longer slaves, where the Bible talks about slavery in a negative way. Well, how does that fit with here, him saying that he makes us his slaves? So we've got to know how to handle those two issues. How can God say, rejoice, Christian, you're not slaves anymore. Or rejoice, people of Israel, because I brought you out of the fiery furnace, out of Egypt. I set you free from Pharaoh. You're not, remember, you are to remember, you're to do the Sabbath. Why, when you take the Sabbath, what do you remember? You're to remember that you were slaves in Egypt. So if you've got these passages where God says, rejoice that you're not slaves anymore, and then you've got these passages here that say, rejoice, you are slaves, how do we balance those two? Is, 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 in this one, slavery is a bad thing, and in this one, slavery is a good thing. Of course, the answer to all of these is context, right? I mean, if you pull any of these out and sort of proof text them, you could, you could throw it around. But the, the context in any of them makes them clear. So let's begin by, by really talking about what does the Bible say about slavery? Because that's going to help us understand when God says he sets us free from slavery, what is he talking about and how does that compare with what he does in us? So I, I want to be careful here because obviously America has a bad history with this issue. I don't know if you're familiar with this. I teach history uh, and we can talk about it. Uh, slavery, bad thing. Uh, Americans chattel slavery, not a good thing. But I also don't want American history to shape how we read our Bibles. I don't want us to take American antebellum South and put it into the picture of slavery in the Greek New Testament because they're two very different things, two very different realities of what was going on. So what does the Bible say? Well, the Bible actually talks about what you would have seen in the antebellum South because the Bible does say abusive and deadly slavery is wicked and evil. That abusive and deadly slavery is wicked and evil and that God saves people from this type of slavery. We mentioned already some of these where he talked about being slaves to the Egyptians. What were the Egyptians doing to them? They weren't just enslaving them. They were beating them. They were, they were trying to kill them, right? They, in reality, were killing their children. We also mentioned slavery to sin, which as Romans 6.23 says, leads to death. And there are other passages in Scripture that, even when it talks about slavery, condemns a certain type of slavery. So in 1 Timothy, it says, those who buy and sell people are condemned. Uh, in the ESV, it says in verse 10, the sexually immoral men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers. Uh, I love what the King James says there, man stealers. Uh, it's actually uh, man feeders, feet, F-E-E-Tears. It's people who take men and, and, and treat them as if they're under their feet. Perjures and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. So here we see that uh, right up there with lying, homosexuality, are those who, who are enslavers, who, who treat people as if they are nothing. 
But this is not new in 1 Timothy. In fact, all the way back in Exodus, Exodus chapter 21, owning someone who had been stolen, buying that person was a crime punishable by death. So Exodus 21, 16, whoever steals a man and sells him and anyone found in possession of him shall what? Shall be put to death. So not just if you steal someone and sell them, if you're someone who buys that person who has been stolen and you're in possession of them, you too are punishable by death. In Deuteronomy uh, 23, uh, we get the Supreme Court did not refer to this in the Dred Scott case, unfortunately. Uh, but in Deuteronomy 23, it says, if a slave escapes, you're supposed to let him stay free. You don't send him back. In fact, if a slave escapes, you're supposed to make a place for him to stay in your land. So Deuteronomy 23, 15 to 16, you shall not give him up to his master, a slave who has escaped from his master to you. He shall dwell with you in your midst, in the place that he shall choose. What? Within one of your towns. Not, not, okay, we'll give you this place over here. You know, the, the, you know, the, the worst place. He gets to choose uh, within one of your towns, wherever it suits him, you shall not wrong him. So here God said, God, you know, he's talking about slavery. He says, look, if someone escapes, you don't, you don't send them back to their master. In fact, you, you give them a home and let them dwell with you now. Exodus 21 says, if a master strikes a slave. So if a master strikes his slave and it causes that slave, male or female, if he strikes him and it hits him in the eye, and causes them to lose their eye, or if he hits them in the mouth and causes them to lose just a tooth, what is that master supposed to do to that slave? It says, he shall let the slave go free, whether it's because of his eye or because of his tooth. You want to you hit your slave like that? You want to treat them as, as it said in 1 Timothy, as something under your feet? Well, you're going to have to set them free. You show that you are not worthy to be uh, their master, that you are, you're doing wickedness and it's better to, it's better to cut off. If, if your sin caused you to pluck out their right eye, uh, you should probably get rid of the thing that caused you uh, to do that. And also in Exodus 21, if a master kills his slave, you know what happens to the master? Because just as is required when any human sheds human blood, it says, when a man strikes his slave, male or female, with a rod, and the slave dies under his hand, he shall be avenged. Meaning, the slave master shall be killed. So although the Bible doesn't outright condemn slavery, there's no verses that come out and say, look, slavery itself is wicked and evil, and you should have no part in that. Even like in the, the story of Philemon, where it, it starts to talk about, you know, treating this uh, slave as a brother rather than just as a slave. It's, it's transitioning to this, to this idea. It does condemn uh, certain slavery practices. Now, along with seeing that slavery is evil, God's people, the Bible says, cannot be slaves. So Jews uh, couldn't be kept as slaves perpetually. 
Uh, a Jew could only, if a Jew came up to you and, and wanted to be your slave and said, I'm going to be your slave to pay off some sort of debt or whatever, they could only be your slave for a maximum of six years. Seventh year, you had to let them go free. Uh, and then you didn't just let them go. You let them go with some of your stuff. So Deuteronomy 15, 12 through 14. If your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman is sold to you, he shall serve you six years. And in the seventh year, you shall let him go from you. Normally we stop there. Okay, you can only serve six years. But read the next verses. And when you let him go from you, you shall not let him go empty handed. You shall furnish him, what? Liberally. Out of your flock, out of your threshing floor, and out of your wine press. As the Lord has blessed you, you shall give to him. In fact, you weren't supposed to treat Hebrew or Jewish slaves as slaves at all. You were supposed to treat them like servants rather than as slaves. In Leviticus 25, 39, and 40. If your brother becomes poor beside you and sells himself to you, you shall not make him serve as a slave. That word serve is the same word as the word slave. You shall not let him be enslaved to you as a slave. You shouldn't let him slave for you as a slave. He shall be with you as a what? As a hired worker and a sojourner. He shall serve with you until the year of Jubilee and Do you know why you couldn't treat them as slaves? God said, not because because slavery is wrong or because it's not right to treat them like slaves. You can't treat a Jew like a slave. They're above that. He says, you shouldn't treat them like your slaves because they're already somebody else's slaves. In Leviticus 25, verse 42, just the next verses down, it says, for they are my slaves whom I brought out of the land of Egypt, they shall not be sold as slaves. And here's where you get into translation issues. That word servants and that word slaves there, same word in the Hebrew. And this is why, you know, you can see it can, it can be kind of confusing. Why would you translate within the same verse, servant and slave? I say, just keep it the same and let the people figure it out. Uh, but that's the idea. So you, they are my slaves whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. They shall not be sold as slaves. So it's this negative picture of slavery, this, this, this picture of God coming and saving us from that, that we are no longer slaves. We're, we're, we're not slaves in Egypt anymore. We're not slaves to sin. And, and, and there are other places in Scripture, for example, God says, look, you're not slaves to the law. In Galatians, Paul talks about slavery to the law, that we've been set free from that yoke of slavery. So Galatians 5.1, for freedom, Christ has set you free Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. What slavery is he talking about? Because he's going to say that we're enslaved to God. How can he say don't submit to a yoke of slavery and then God say that he's going to enslave us? He's talking about slavery to the law, meaning that thinking that they were obligated to keep the law. But even there, it's not slavery itself that is bad. But even in Galatians, what he's saying here is it's the one to whom you are enslaved that is bad. What's interesting is Paul says in the next verses down that this freedom that he just talked about in Galatians 5, Christ has set you free, therefore be free, don't take again slavery. Just in a few verses down, he says he sets us free to be slaves. So Galatians 5, 13 and 14. For you were called to freedom, brothers. And we're like, yes, freedom, no more yokes of slavery. He says, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love. And sometimes we'll translate this, serve one another. 
but it's that same word through love be enslaved to one another. The exact same word translated slavery up in chapter five, verse one. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So he says, don't take on the yoke of slavery in verse one. He says, be free, but be free to to do what? You're free now to be enslaved, not even just to God, but to give your life in service to one another. And there are some senses in which we are no longer slaves. So we've got to make sure we understand when we're talking. There's some, you're going to read verses, and there are senses in which we are no longer slaves, even in understanding our relationship with God. Because we see here, God says that we're slaves to him, but there, there's also a sense in which our relationship with him has been changed. And he talks about you no longer being slaves. Uh, for example, uh, well, just as in, in their day, slavery was a, a negative situation. No one, no one wanted to be a slave. A slave was a detached relationship from the master. So often to highlight how intimate as a Christian our new relationship is with the Lord. That God is in salvation, no long, not going to treat us like slaves. So Jesus talks about this. Jesus in John 15, 15 says, you're not slaves, you're my friends. You're not slaves, you're my friends. So John 15, 15, no longer do I call you slaves for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends for all that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. So Jesus, hey, you're not my slaves, you're my friends. But before you look at that, go, well, look, this doesn't make any sense. We can't, we're not his slaves, right? Jesus just said, we're not his slaves. Notice closely what he says. He says, you're not my slaves. Why? Because a slave doesn't know what his master is doing. He doesn't say, you're not my slaves because you don't have to obey me anymore. He says the difference between what he is, a slave doesn't know what his master is doing. In fact, in verse 14, the verse right before this, you know what Jesus just said before he said, you're not my slaves? He says, you are my friends. You know what he says? If you do what? What I command you. So before you're like, look, Jesus just said we're not his slaves. Uh, realize that in the verse right before that, when he says, you're my friends now, he says, and what do friends do? They do what I command them to do. The, the reason you're not a slave isn't that you don't have to obey him anymore. Isn't that you're free to just sort of, you know, freedom in Christ. I can do whatever I want. And I, you know, I'm still going to heaven. Things are great. He says, if you're my friends, you're going to still do what I command you. This obviously, and, and remember in at this part in John 15, 15, Peter's there. So this obviously didn't, understand, didn't change Peter's understanding of his being a slave to God and to Christ. Because Peter is there when Jesus says this. But we've seen how he still multiple times, even after John 15, continued to refer to himself as a slave of Christ. He did it in Acts. He did it here in 2 Peter. Another way the Bible highlights our new relationship with God is by saying we're not slaves anymore. We are sons. And so you're going to read that and go, look, how can we be slaves? He says, we're not slaves, we're sons. Galatians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. 
But if you go back to the context of Galatians chapter 4, what Paul is talking about here is that we were, how we were formerly enslaved not to God, we were formerly enslaved to our passions. So he says in verse 3, the, ver- the verse is right just before this. But in God, we are adopted as true sons. Again, the problem isn't the slavery. The problem is who your master is. And that's the difference. Slavery to anyone else would cost us. But slavery to God is so different from any other slavery. Slavery to God is a good thing. It is the only slavery where, where you, the slave, gain from your relationship with the Lord. And that's an important point as well to remember when thinking about Peter boldly proclaiming here, I'm a slave. He's rejoicing in being bound to God, to Christ, because of whom his master is. So that's, here's the question then. Why is slavery to God a good thing? We've seen that he sets us free from certain slavery and, and that this type of slavery is a bad thing that, that, that he sets his people free from. And he goes around and says, look, you've been saved. You're no longer slaves. You've been saved. You've been set free. And then he comes. So then we go, yay, we're set free. Well, then why, does he, why is it good that he then enslaves us right after setting us free? And why would that slavery continue into the new heavens and the new earth? The first thing we see is that God is a good master. Unlike other slave masters, God is a good master. So Exodus chapter 19, verse 5. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So the people of Israel just been set free from Pharaoh, just now made slaves of God. And he says, but these people who were the possession of Pharaoh weren't just set free. They were made God's possession, but they're made his treasured possession. Treasured above all the people of the earth. That God treasured these Jewish people above all the other people on the earth. Which is a promise, if you'll remember, that Peter remembered in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9. Remember when he said that? What did he say in verse 9? But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. What's the next one? A people, what? For his own possession you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You, one of the great parts of our salvation is God making us his possession. So Peter says, God doing this, God making us his possession. Like he talked about all the way back in Exodus 19. Peter remembers that and he's talking to these Jews in exile and he goes, look, you don't need to be afraid because God owns you now. You are his treasured possession. Remember how he told the people that back in Exodus 19, that if we will obey him and remember the covenant and follow him, that he will treat us as his treasured possession. And so he says, look, that's what he's done to you. You are a chosen people, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And he says, this isn't something to lament. He says, we're supposed to proclaim this excellent thing that you may proclaim the excellencies 
of the one who made you his possession. Romans 6, I mean, this is the whole point of, not the whole point, Romans 6, a lot of the, yeah, okay, it's the whole point, uh, where, where it talks about how much better it is to have this new master. And, and the whole irony of Romans 6 is he's like, why would, so it's like, shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? Uh, and it's like, God forbid, why? And he starts to explain why. He says, why would you work for a master like sin? When sin is going to rob you. When God, in God, you have a master who takes care of you. So God has set you free from sin and made you his slave. Why would you foolishly want to go back to the thing you were once enslaved from and just tried to rob from you? So you get to that final verse in Romans chapter 6 that we, not that we misread, but that we read out of context. We're like, look, sin kills you. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. But Romans 6.23 is about why would you be so dumb to follow sin instead of following the Lord? That's what Romans 6.23 is about. Because it's been leading up to all this about what being a slave to God does and what being a slave to sin does. It says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He says, look, sin is a good master. Sin is a good master in that he pays you what you've earned. I mean, sin will pay you. He'll pay you every dime that you've earned. But the wage for working for him is what? Death. So you're like, I'm going to work for that guy because he pays me instead of you, you know. And you go and you work for him and he, he pays you all right, but he pays you in death. God, however, thankfully, is a master who doesn't give us what we've earned. I mean, that's the, I think that's the point in the switch in phrases here. It doesn't say for the wages of sin is death, but the wages of God is eternal life. Right? Because he doesn't say, but you have earned now eternal life and you're going to get the wages for your work. He says, but in God, we don't get what we've earned. God gives us a gift. I mean, this is how crazy he is as a master. God's the, the economically the worst master in the world, right? Because what does he do? He pays slaves who have done nothing, right? Who haven't earned what he's going to give them, who gives gifts to his slaves. That's why it's good that God is our master. He's a master unlike any human master. He's one who gives his slaves what they don't deserve. In fact, the opposite of what they deserve. And so that's why you had all the way back in the Old Testament, it's saying crazy things like, let the slave work for you. And then when they're done, give them some of your stuff and bless them liberally. But they just worked off their, their, what they owed. They were just working for me to pay off their debt. Why am I giving them extra stuff? He says, because all of that is going to be a shadow of what I'm going to do for you in Christ. In Christ, you're going to be set free, but you're not just going to be set free. I'm going to bless you liberally from my righteousness, from my stores, from what I have. And you'll get gifts from me. Not what you've earned. You get gifts. Opposite of what you deserve. So God, the different, the re, why is God being a slave to God so good? Because God is a master unlike any other. So when, when we serve the Lord, it is for our good. When God enslaves us to him, it is for our good that we are enslaved to him. Gifts come out of this because if we're not enslaved to him, we're enslaved to sin 
And the only thing that will come from that is death. So if you've got two, you've got two options. Either you can be enslaved, enslaved to God and get the gift of eternal life, or you can say, I want to be free. Okay, free. And you're like, hey, sin, I like you. And you become enslaved to sin because you can't go to sin and say, all right, sin, we need to talk about this question of free will. Okay, and I'd rather you not influence my heart in any way uh, because I have chosen to be free. Uh, sin's going to say, no, okay, uh, let's let your, your dead heart freely do what it wants to do. And guess what your free dead heart is always going to choose to do? Sin. And sin's going to be like, all right, you're free, not realizing that you're in chains the whole time. And you're going to be like, I'm so free. God's not telling me what to do. And you're walking down the road to death. And he says, look, if you'll realize that, Paul's saying in Romans 6, if you'll realize that's what's happening, you will say, set me free, but then only for like a nanosecond as you enslave me to you. So that's what God does when God changes our hearts. Of course, our hearts are then free after he changes them. So he changes our hearts from hearts that love sin. He changes them. He makes them alive. And then those hearts freely choose what? Him. Because they've been changed. Because he's made them alive. He's quickened them so that they're no longer dead. He has breathed the spirit of life into them, Ezekiel 36 and Ezekiel 37, and made them live. He has gone to our dry bones and made them live. And so now, thankfully, those hearts are enslaved to him, enslaved to righteousness, slaves of God. So it's a, he's a good master uh, and one we should, we should cherish, which is why... The next thing we see, that being his slave is a delight. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 11. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your, again, like we said last time, slaves, and to the prayer of your slaves who delight to fear your name and give success to your slave today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Nehemiah does not regret being God's slaves. He doesn't see God's people as resenting their chains, does he? In fact, what does he say? He says, look, oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your slave and to the prayer of your slaves who what? Who delight to fear your name. God's people delight in being enslaved to him. They delight in serving him. They understand that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. They understand that if, if they're not fearing the Lord, they're living a foolish life. As Romans 6 says, a foolish life that's going to lead to death and hell. So it's a delight to wake up one day and realize that you would have never changed your heart to the Lord. And yet your heart is chained to him and it was his work to do it. And you say, thank you, Lord, for what you've done in my heart. Because I, I couldn't have done this. I wouldn't have done this because I was a slave to sin. And yet you set me free and chained me to yourself. This is my delight, God. I'm delighted that I'm fearing you. I'm delighted that I'm living a wise life now instead of a foolish one because I was running hard after sin, running hard toward death until you made me your slave. And so I delight, as, as Nehemiah says, we delight in serving you. We delight in being enslaved to you. So being a slave to to God is a, is a delight. And one of the reasons that it's a delight is because being a slave of God brings great results. Brings really great results. I mean, let's just be pragmatic here because that's what scripture is going to be. And it's going to say, not only does it just make sense, but it's also really good for you. 
to be a slave. A, a worldly slave works only for his master's benefit. But our master works for our benefit. And slavery, our slavery brings us good. And the Lord doesn't really gain from our service. He's up there going, man, I really, I really could use about, you know, two more hymns from that first Baptist church to really make me feel good about myself. Uh, and then we give him and he's like, thanks guys. Uh, that's not, I mean, he doesn't need our worship. He's got angels up there and all of them are singing on key, right? Uh, and so it's not like he's lacking anything from us. They're not up there, as Connie said, they're not up there going bling, bling, bling on the piano. Uh, and so they're, everything that they do is great and worshipful and wonderful. God's not up there lacking anything. Yet when we serve him, he doesn't gain, we do. We gain from having lives enslaved to him. Romans chapter 6, verse 17 and 18. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. Here, Paul lays out how we were slaves to sin. Now we're slaves to righteousness. But what does he say should be our reaction to that slavery? How do we react to being, you know, we're set free and then enslaved again? How does he say we should react to that? What does he say at the start of verse 17? Thanks be to God that this has happened. Being God's slave is, is not something to resent. It's, it's actually a great promise that God binds our hearts to him, that he keeps us from falling away, that he enslaves. In fact, this slavery to God is one of the foundations of the perseverance of the saints. It's really, as we, I think it's maybe the preservation of the saints. Why can a true Christian never fall away? Because they're slaves to God. Because he has bound them to himself. Because God has enslaved their hearts and wills to him. Just as in there, a slave cannot set himself free. Just like we couldn't decide to not be slaves to sin. God had to come and set us free. When he enslaves our heart to him, it is a blessed enslavement. A blessed, blessed enslavement. Look at your life. You don't think by now if you could cast off those chains that there's been times where you've been tempted to sin that you might do that? What has always bound, kept your heart bound to the Lord? Is it, is it, is it your, your righteousness now? That you're all of a sudden the type of person who would never do that? Or is your master in great kindness and grace binding you to himself? As Jesus says, where no one can snatch you out of his hand, no one can snatch you out of the Father's hand. People try to twist that and be like, but we're coming from inside the hand. And I'm like, that's stupid. Don't say that. Because it is. I mean, it's just foolish. It's just foolish. Don't say that. But that's what people will do to try and get back to, but what if I push from this side? Like he's, like he's an alligator and it's weak this way, but strong this way. I mean, it's God. You know, so it's not like, oh, my grip's really bad. You know, you're not getting out of that. The, the whole picture that Jesus is painting is you are mine and I'm going to make sure that you are never let go. And now as we see slaves never can go, which is just a great blessing from the Lord. And which this is why we see uh, it brings thanks in Romans 6.22. Why does this bring such great thanks? Get 6.22. But now that we've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, look at what it's going to bring to us. So we're slaves of God. The fruit you get leads 
to sanctification and its end, eternal life. So slavery to God doesn't steal from us. It doesn't kill from us. It is not like worldly slavery. It is not like the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy that, 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 that takes from the slave to feed the master. Our slavery is for our good. Our being his slave doesn't bear him fruit. It bears us fruit. In this case, our sanctification. So I love that we just read about sanctification as the Holy Spirit's work. You, along with that sanctification, one of the things that sanctification comes from is your slavery to God. So when you're like, how am I going to grow as a Christian? You say, God, enslave me to yourself. Because it is being slaves of God. The fruit of that slavery leads to your sanctification. So if you want to be a better believer, you say, God, bind these chains tighter to you. Slavery is the fuel to sanctification. And the end of that fruit, its fruition, is eternal life. So slavery to God is the root to eternal life. It's the only root to eternal life. So in terms of talking about benefits, you know, like I wanna, I wanna, do you want to go to heaven or hell when you die? You know, the only hope of eternal life is being a slave of the Lord, which is, we saw Jesus himself say, what does he say to his sheep? Remember, he separates the sheep from the goats. He says to all the sheep, what does he say? Again, this is why it's important. Not just some of the sheep, but to all the sheep, he says, well done, my good and faithful slaves. What does that that teach? Just teaching what Romans 6 taught us. That when you're a slave to God, the fruit of that is your sanctification and the, the fruition of that, the end of that is eternal life. Slavery to God leads to your sanctification, which leads to your eternal life. So being God's slave is the path to eternal life. Why? If that's the case, why would we ever buck against being his slave? It would be, you would be a fool to say, I don't want to be your slave because I want to do what I want. Uh, even though being your slave leads to my eternal life, I think I'd rather be free for the shadow of a life that I've got. For this breath of a life that I have that you say is like grass that rises in the morning and then withers in the evening, I'd really like to be grass that can do what it wants to do. You know, all that free grass out there. And he says, look, being a slave to God leads to eternal life. Why would we not want that slavery? Which is, I think, what Paul understands when he said back in verse 17, thanks be to God for this slavery. Because we realized where we were going. We realized what path we were on. And God has saved us. So when you're looking at what is it, why is it so great to be a, a, a slave of God? Those are just a, a few things that we could look at. A few reasons to say as a Christian, God, thank you for enslaving me to you. And so what does this mean for this letter and, 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 and for the book of Peter? I mean, don't, don't just pursue to be a slave out of fear. Although that should be something that you do. You should, if, you, if you're not a slave, then that means you're a goat. Then you should say, make me a slave because I don't want to be a goat. Pursue being a slave to the Lord because that's where the good life is found. I mean, God is a good master. It's a delight to serve him and it's for your good. So what sort of meditation can we have today? It's real simple. Christian, this week, and as you think about the, the verses we've looked at, even as you think about First Peter, just that, that first word, Christian, thank God that you're a slave. Let's bow our heads.